0: listeners should be aware there may be spoilers
1: what's happening i'm not your husband i'm another version of I'm from another universe i'm here because we need
2: your help very busy today I' no time to help you there's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses and you may be your only chance of stopping it don't make me fight you i am really good i don't believe you
0: it's really good. Welcome to Editors on Editing, the podcast in collaboration with American Cinema Editors and Pro Video Coalition. I'm Glenn Garland and I'm joined by Paul Rogers and his assistant editors Ashish Damello and Zoe Mao. Paul's credits include The Eric Andre Show, The Death of Dick Long, You Cannot Kill David Arquette, and Dreamcorp LLC. Now Paul has edited The Phenomenal Mind Trip, Everything, Everywhere, All At Once for which he has been nominated for the Critics' Choice Award, the BAFTA, the Independent Spirit Award, the EDDIE, and the Academy Award. Paul is a partner at Parallax Post, a full-service post-production shop based in Los Angeles. Paul, Zoe, Ashish, it's so great to have you here. I just was blown away by the film. Who knew that a small indie like this would be a frontrunner at the Oscars? Congrats.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a trip. We were doing an interview. They asked, like, did you ever think this would be such a big success. And it was like, before the question was even done. So it was like, nope. It was like, absolutely not.
2: I think it was just so crazy because it was pandemic and there's a lot of uh, unknown things when it comes to the workflow. And it was the first time for me, to be honest with you, managing such a big project. But, you know, I'm really, really happy how it turned out.
3: Yeah, we were just constantly (laughs) kept busy and we were on it for so long. Like, It feels very surreal that something we worked on for so long is now so big. (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
0: the workflow must have been very complicated because not only all the special effects, but the sound design and the music, it just must have been quite an involved project.
2: If there weren't any remote workflow involved, I would think it would be much more easier. But because, you know, everybody's working from home, we have to really quickly adjust to it. And we were using this new function within Premiere, called production which i'm truly grateful to it because it reduced the size of each project so it made it much more easy to uh, send stuff back and forth Mm. and it wasn't just paul you know the daniels also um, added a little bit on their own so paul would not only have to manage his own timeline there's also timelines coming to his way from the daniels which he has to incorporate in the cut also so this function really helped us but Because it was so new, I believe it was a beta version. So Ashish and I found out a lot of, uh, you know, small issues here and there. But Adobe company, the Premiere team was really supportive. They were working with us throughout the entire process to make sure certain bugs got ironed out before we need to move to the next stage.
3: Yeah, they were constantly asking us for feedback and feedback. What they could improve on so yeah adobe was great and the whole workflow thing yeah we did have to to improvise quite a bit especially for vfx which i was mostly responsible for communicating yeah just had to come up with a lot of new techniques of doing stuff how did you guys communicate
0: was it through something like evercast or through zoom how did you guys get notes from the
1: daniels we kind of patchworked it together so to give you some context They shot this film in January through March, 2020, we were starting the offline edit and that's when, as we all know, COVID hit, lockdown started. We got like five days together, basically in person before we had to split. So we were figuring out as we went, Zach, the head of the VFX department, Zach Stoltz, he recommended Resilio Sync, so me and Zoe Nishish and Dan and Daniel and Zach all had hard drives that were synced up. So whenever I would add something, it would propagate to all the other hard drives, Ooh. just kind of peer to peer. We didn't discover Evercast until a little bit into the process, to be honest. we tried Zoom, but that didn't really work. So what we ended up doing for the most part was, I would cut something and I would put it up on frame and they would leave notes, or I'd put it up on frame and me and Danny and Daniel would one, two, three, hit play, watch it, talk about it. <laughs> wow. You know, it's like just figuring out what we could do and what was possible. Evercast, we did end up using and it. it. was It was great. It was really a lifesaver. But for a lot of it was, what, were we on Slack? Yeah, we were on Slack. And then text messages. It was tough. I think if we had all been in the office, it would be a constant, like, come in here and check this out. It was such a new thing for all of us. We were just figuring it out day by day.
0: And what was the choice to edit in Premiere? I know that uh, when I've edited Premiere with multiple other editors, sometimes it gets a little tricky sharing material and not having the Nexus as a network. Was it because of the Adobe platform and visual effects?
1: It was a combination. I've been on Premiere for years. I learned on Avid in school, but cut most of my career on Premiere. Dan and Daniel are the same way. They know Premiere, they don't know Avid. They also know After Effects. And so the dynamic linking between Premiere and After Effects is a big deal for them because they like to temp in VFX constantly as we cut. The way that I worked with Dan and Daniel was very collaborative. Like Zoe said, they're constantly editing and we're passing stuff back and forth. We got in touch with Adobe and just said, hey, we're doing this big movie. Here's the setup. And they came back and said, we have this beta version of a kind of a secret new feature that basically turns Premiere into the type of avid system that people are used to as far as shared bins and being able to open Mm. up each other's projects interesting so while we're working i could jump into dan's project while he was working it was locked i couldn't change anything but i could grab a sequence i could mess with it i could drop it in a handoff project for him and then zoe and ashish just were like constantly wrangling the three of us because we were experimenting constantly jumping in and out of each other's projects
2: Yeah, I'm really grateful to this new feature because I'm much more familiar with Avid. This new function basically is like the Avid project. And Avid bin becomes each individual premiere projects in this production folder. So like the logic behind it is just like Avid, which I was really happy about it. It's very easy for us to know which project is locked, which project is not locked.
0: And it sounds like a huge leap forward for Premiere because I know in the past, that was one of the things that made it difficult to work with multiple editors and not knowing if you were going to overwrite something that someone had already worked on.
2: But when we have to adjust to the remote workflow, I wasn't confident enough about syncing, using Resilio Sync to sync, you know, the entire Premiere production, meaning like our projects between me, Paul and the Daniels and Ashish. So we were actually, uh, sending things back and forth either through Dropbox or we would have sync it in a different folder.
3: I also think at the time, Adobe didn't recommend that we use Resilio Sync to sync like project files because that might override stuff.
1: Oh, really? Mm.
2: I believe nowadays most of the shows are using LucidLink plus Resilio Sync, So they would put the premiere production mm-hmm. onto Lucid and then sync the rest of the media through Resilio Sync because Resitive Sync does not prioritize the small files first. Yeah. They actually treat everything the same, so the projects cannot get updated, like, instantly.
3: Yeah. And there's a risk of stuff being overwritten, too. Like, one person might be working on something when the other person is working on the same thing, but Premiere doesn't know. I don't know about now, but, yeah, at, at the time, it was not.
2: So we just did the really old-school way, which is we saved all our projects on our local drives, Every single thing, every single project that contains Paul's sequences or Daniel's sequences, I would just like physically back it up somewhere else, uh, so that if they need to go back to see old ideas or something, there's always a place for us to look.
1: I am sorry. That sounds terrible. <laughs> I didn't <realize. laughs> I think no. this is a testament to this is a testament to Zoe and Ashish though, is they didn't tell me how hard all that was and how messy it was at the beginning while we were figuring it out.
2: I think it really worked out for our show because we had so many individual projects with like single sequences in it. So at the beginning, it seems messy, but to be honest with you, it did definitely help us. You and the Daniels uh, and Ashish and I, we can all work on different things at the same time without bugging each other. Like, hey, can you close this project?
3: And because production cross-references media, For example, if uh, Zoe were to send me a project file, even though I'm working off a different hard drive, it wouldn't duplicate the media when I imported that sequence into my project because it already knew that I had the same clips in my production somewhere.
1: Yeah, what I will say that we do at my shop, Parallax, we use Resilio and Lucid now to sync all of our productions. Very seamless and very easy to use. So we do this thing at Parallax, we call it the swarm, which is where we'll have three, four, five, six, seven, eight editors on a project, it could be a 30 second spot, a music video, documentary, whatever. And productions has really changed the game for us because we can have everybody working at once. Can you take this and do your own version of it? And then I'll plug it back in when you're done. We can do that all throughout the day, really seamlessly.
0: Very cool. So Paul, speaking of Parallax, I believe that you started in commercials and music videos, is that correct?
1: My start, like very start, was in documentaries for public television in Alabama. Had a great team, really wonderful people that I worked with. And I saw a music video, really it was a short film, called Until the Quiet Comes by Khalil Joseph. I was probably 27, 28 at the time. And I went home and I said to my wife, I think I have to quit my job and I have to find these people and I have to make stuff with them. And so I moved to L.A. and... I found the editor of Until the Quiet Comes, Luke Lynch, and started working with him, assisting for him, working on the Eric Andre show. And I met Dan and Daniel a couple of weeks after I moved to LA at the roller skating rink at Moonlight Roller Rink in Glendale. And um, <laughs> we just became friends. Daniel was from Alabama. We had a lot in common. It was, you know, it was, they were just great people. And long story short, the first thing we cut together was "Turned Down For What? And they had never used an editor before. They'd cut all their own stuff before then. And it went really well, and we just kind of kept working together whenever we could. We did a short film called Interesting Ball, a couple more music videos. And then I did Daniel Scheinert's feature, Death of Dick Long with A24. Yeah, just kind of, you know, snowballed, but pretty organically.
0: Awesome. So how clearly were the intercuts between the multiverses scripted? It seems so complex. And to keep this complicated story of the multiverses clear while cutting between them seamlessly seems really tricky.
1: It's a combination for sure of scripted and experimentation. There were some things that were scripted pretty tightly as far as the intercutting. There's some obvious ones based on camera moves or match cuts, but then we definitely had free reign to just experiment. And Dan and Daniel like that in general. They really value, even on set, value improvisation and experimentation and other perspectives. So each kind of transition you were always encouraged to surprise them, to come up with something new. The movie is incredibly well scripted. And I think there's this feeling that like, we just improv so much in the edit that we were just making it up as we went along. But I think if people read the script, they'll see that they knew what they were doing, they really planned and executed really well.
0: Yeah. It seems like a lot of the transitions were really carefully crafted in a really cool way, like the pullback from the car and then going through the glass window. Or the flash camera to a slap, or dolling around the chair to reveal Jobu. But I'm sure a bunch of the transitions you guys discovered in the edit. Tell me a little bit about crafting those.
1: Like I said, each one is its own unique thing. We weren't trying to necessarily establish like, okay, here's the way that we execute each transition. We were just seeing what new things we'd come up with so that each one felt fun and unique and maybe a little bit special, tailored to what was going on emotionally or narratively so i think it became more complicated once we started cutting down the film for time we cut about 30 35 minutes out we lost in whole universes and so some of those transitions we had to reinvent we had to find the match cuts that would match to the new universe and that that was fun those kind of challenges were really fun because
0: working with the different universes could be quite complicated did you work with the earthverse first and then start intercutting the others? Or did you start intercutting right away?
1: Oh, we were all over the place. I am very much a like, follow your joy in the edit. And so the first day and not cutting scene one, I'm just cutting whatever scene I'm like, most excited about. I'm sure Zoe and she can testify to the fact that all three of us, me, Dan, and Daniel, were working across the entire movie from beginning to end on any given day.
2: Yeah, I think it took us a while to put the first cut together. I, I remember even during the production because there's two Daniels. They sometimes were shooting two different things at the same time. Like one of the Daniels would take the camera to get like close-ups or pickups shots and stuff like that. And so we are getting like parts of the scene sometimes each day. So like it was sort of difficult for Paul to get all the footage of one scene. I remember like scene 85, which was with the butt plug in the in in the IRS building. <laughs> Yeah, so that scene, the principal expanded for three days. So it was hard for us to just cut by chunk. And then also there was so much like temp VFX we were doing. Paul has to adjust the cut based on that.
3: Yeah, everything sort of kept evolving all the time. Yeah, even keeping things updated with the VFX team, like we, we were constantly in communication.
1: Yeah, and Sun Lux was also involved from the very beginning. So the, those are the composers.
2: Yeah, Sunlocks was sending us a lot of uh, their samples and I know Paul was using a lot of those stems that they have like their drums and stuff like it was really cool stuff. I remember like when we had the first cut I think we used a lot of like matrix and stuff like that. The
1: matrix, of course, we had to. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then I, I remember the moment Paul switched the music out to some of those temp stems from Sunlux, it was like totally different. And I can see the film sort of like just changed into like, it's getting their own shape together.
1: It's interesting you say that. First thing, I find it amazing, Zoe, that you remember the scene numbers. Oh. Like scene 85. Is scene 93, is that when, when Evelyn breaks her brain? That's,
2: 93, that's the one, yeah. yeah
1: when you said that it, it all kind of came flashing back because 93 was one of those scenes that I like just stressed out over and just be in bed just like I got to figure out 93 We got to make it amazing that is one thing but then also Sun Lux has a very particular sensibility I don't know if you've ever heard their other music but their sensibility is really unique and things sound not off but just a little bit off normal they don't Ooh. sound like what you're used to hearing and I think Once that music started steeping into the film, it kind of emboldened us to push the edit a little bit further outside of normal as well. The music and the the edit started to meet in this beautiful place and play off of each other. The movie's identity and personality really started to take off.
0: I feel like getting music early is such a great thing to have because a lot of films you lock and then you give it to the composer and it really does influence the edit when you have the music early and the SoundLux stuff had a very mystical feeling, it really felt like you were jumping through these multiverses with the music. And so I'm sure that really helped influence what you guys were doing.
1: It did. I don't know how people cut without music. I get it, but I just this movie in particular and maybe just the way that I work in general, it's just such a musical art form, editing, and I love having the music that's going to be in there to play with. I'm curious, because I know that Zoe, she had to leave to cut her first feature, right? Yeah. How do you cut? Are you cutting with music or were you cutting with all 10 music?
2: For myself, I like to cut without music first. I only like to add music to wherever I feel like it's needed because I sort of have a love and hate experience with music. I like it when music works really well. I also don't like when music is hinting the emotions and stuff like that.
0: Well, I do think music can influence you in a way that becomes a crutch. So you have to be very careful with it. But if you're getting it from a composer, it can be really helpful because it's very specific to what the scene needs and dictates.
2: I also want to say like the sound effects team, post-sound team also helped. One thing pretty unique about our film is that it's really hard for us to judge if each scene is working until all the elements are there like i feel like we need the sound to be there sound effects to be there to be honest i'm not saying like the picture aren't working but like it's each element brings another layer to the story yeah
0: especially with jumping through these multiverses and getting a sense of these different universes
1: especially we were frustrated with the hot dog Singer universe because it just wasn't funny and so until we sent it to it was unbridled sound we did the post sound. We sent it to Brent Kaiser there, and he sent us back a temp version of it. And then we could rest easy. We were like, this is going to work. This is amazing. This is hilarious. <laughs> we had little moments like that throughout, you know, where you just can't quite tell if we're going to pull it off until you get the right song or the right sound effect in there.
0: Tell me about the tone, because you're dealing with some very zany scenes. Like you said, Zoe, the butt plug scene, but then you have these very dramatic scenes. We've got this mother-daughter relationship, and they're really struggling to deal with the emotional disconnect they're having. Talk about calibrating that and making sure it didn't get too crazy and stayed true to the emotion, but could also go to these very different places. It's a
1: layered answer, I guess. The whiplash is something we talked about a lot, as how can we use that whiplash to our advantage? The feeling of almost achieving some kind of emotional resolution in a scene and then being ripped out and thrown into another universe that's funny or silly or sad because i think that's the experience that evelyn was going through right and so by the time we get to the point where evelyn just says screw it all she gives in and her brain kind of implodes we as the audience hopefully understand how she got there and why she's feeling the way she feels because we feel like that a little bit now we can't quite go that far because then it would be a movie that you would have to get up and leave from or turn off because you just couldn't take it anymore. So there was a constant discussion and experimentation with how far we push things and how far we push the limits and the patience of the audience. Mm. And our first uh, rough cut was too far, you know? And we knew we were doing
0: that. Sometimes you have to break it in order to know where the boundary is.
1: Exactly, yes. Once you break it, then you realize what was holding it together, what made it work. And so we did that kind of thing with every scene. And a lot of it too, I think we have to give credit to the actors, to Michelle and Stephanie and Key, and also to Jamie. They were so dialed in with their characters and where their characters were in each moment and in each universe. I never was fighting against the performance in any way. In fact, for the most part, it was this incredible crutch that I could lean on if we can just focus on the performances and the faces of these incredible actors and these characters, the audience will know what's happening emotionally. Mm. And there's a lot of experimentation with tone. The way that me and Dan and Daniel work is that we like to surprise each other by taking something that may have been shot as a drama, scripted as a dramatic scene, turn it into a comedy scene or turn it into a horror scene or whatever. And so we were, we did a lot of that kind of experimentation. What I find that that does is it helps illuminate the mechanics of the scene and what is making the scene work comes to light a little bit. When you start pushing it into these other genres or just playing with it, it's like you start pulling at the seams and seeing what's actually holding it together Interesting. Uh, and occasionally those things stick, but a lot of the times we, those are just internal experiments that we do just to see how that, just to see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll throw in a sound effect joke in a very serious scene. One, to get a laugh out of my friends, Dana Daniel, when they watch it. Really <laughs> really funny. And two, just to see what would happen if there was a joke here It may not end up being the zany sound effect or whatever that I put in there, but saying, huh, you know, it is kind of nice to laugh in the middle of the scene it can be helpful. And then we can come up with something a little more elegant.
0: Yeah. I mean, you've got these things like Evelyn saying, I love you as Jamie Lee curse comes at her as the wrestler and could kill her. You're calibrating it to be a threat, but at the same time, it's funny.
1: Well, a lot of that, too, is just treating the material seriously and not treating it as a joke Ooh. and not not leaning into, like, isn't this situation zany and hilarious and more just saying, let's treat this insane situation of Jamie Lee Curtis jumping down a stairway to knee Evelyn in the face and her saying, I love you. Let's treat this with the weight that Evelyn, the character, feels, which is that if she doesn't do this, she's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> And so treating everything really seriously, which is what Dan and Daniel do in their work in general, is they take these ridiculous concepts and they treat them very seriously and with a lot of weight. And they do the opposite too. They take these really serious subjects and they turn them into a joke. The tonality of their work in general is so hard to pin down because instead of having a specific tone that they hit, it seems to me that they have a tendency to just subvert expectations Mm, unexpected. Yeah, their tone is untrackable. It's just unexpected.
0: Mm. The beginning is really interesting because immediately the film puts you in Evelyn's head, you're quickly jumping from place to place, the cutting pattern is very fast, and the audience really feels what she must be going through.
1: Yeah, I gotta give all credit to Dan and Daniel's script for that, and obviously to the performances, to Michelle's performance in particular, but there's a lot going on in that opening. It's stressful, it's anxiety inducing, but it's also very well choreographed and feels mm. like this stressful anxiety dance that she's doing, that you get the feeling that she does every day. And that was incredible, the way that Larkin Syple, the DP, shot it. And it was such a fun sequence to cut that first 15 minutes of the film.
0: Very cool was it a challenge to edit the scenes in Mandarin or were you just getting a sense of the best take with how they were performing
1: it? Zoe helped me out a lot on that. I mean, she did translations, she did the subtitles, and then she would also tell me which were her favorite takes, which takes people were maybe stumbling on a line.
2: Yeah, so I would put English subtitles onto those um, non-English scenes. And if I noticed some of the line delivering wasn't so great, I would uh, usually flag that out to Paul, like, unless we really love this performance, maybe we don't use this, or if we do need to use it, we might have to ADR it. There is some sort of improvisation going on, so sometimes they don't say the line exactly the same, like, the D- Daniels wanted the character to express this meaning, but the Chinese line weren't really saying that, so mm-hmm. sometimes I would also tell Paul, like, this is not very accurate.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it was it was Mandarin and Cantonese, and Zoe spoke both. I speak zero, <laughs> and Dan Quan spoke a little bit of each, but not enough. You know, so really we were all we were all leaning on Zoe for that.
0: <laughs> wow! And tell me about the use of speed ramps throughout the whole movie, but also when we introduce Alpha Wayman.
1: Yeah, I'm sure Zoe and Ashish have a lot to say about this, both from the <laughs> finishing perspective, and because we went crazy with the speed ramping <laughs> i had never used time remapping which is what they call it in premiere i'd never used it that extensively you know i would do obviously speeding up and slowing stuff down is not a, a novel thing in editing but the amount of keyframes we would have on one clip starting off at 100 and then jumping up to 120 and then back down to 87 and then up to 93 for a minute and then you know like we were just really tweaking obviously not performance or anything as much as the action sequences. Sure. And occasionally, for example, if I was combining two takes, if there were two characters in a scene, but I liked one performance from this take and another actor's performance from another take, I could combine those with a split screen. And occasionally you'd have to slow someone down or speed someone up so that their reactions feel genuine because they're not actually reacting to the same take as the other actor. Also, Dan and Daniel shot all the action scenes overcranked anywhere from 120 frames per second, 60 frames, 50 frames, whatever. So we had the option to, to slow down whenever we wanted. For example, the Fanny pack fight when Alpha Wayman has his first fight. There's not a ton of slow-mo in that scene, but everything shot so that we have the option to do that whenever we want. But it also gives us the option to slow something down to 80% so that it feels like it hits a little bit harder. Um, Mm -hmm. so we could speed up as the fist comes to the face and then slow it down. So that somebody gets a little bit more hang time in the air. So it feels like they're traveling further. They got hit harder. So there was a lot of fun experimentation with that.
0: Yeah. You could speed ramp into somebody starting to fall and then slow it down to practically nothing and then speed it up again
1: as they hit the ground or something like that. We did it all we did all the tricks we could because it's not a big budget action movie they couldn't spend a week on a fight scene I mean they shot in the Fanny pack in a day which is insane and we wanted to cut as minimally as possible we wanted to stay in the wides if we could and that required speed ramping because the reason that low budget action movies and fight scenes are not as fun to watch is because there's not as much time to cover it and to shoot it and to rehearse it and so you have to cut to these crazy shots that don't quite make sense to hide a bad stun or whatever. And um, we used Premiere to its fullest in order to try to even the playing field between the big budget and our little indie. But it was a lot for Zoe and Ashish in finishing to have to deal with that because it was so heavy throughout the film.
3: Well, making sure that translates correctly in the final online. Yeah, what we hadn't realized on previous projects and we found out on this one was when there are so many speed keyframes coupled with resizing, like push-ins and push-outs and pull-outs and stuff. Premiere wasn't super frame-specific, so like occasionally we would copy a clip from one timeline to the other, and then it would be off by like a frame where the speed ramps were taking place. So we sort of had to... <laughs> in VFX and in online, we had to be very precise as to getting these things translated properly, whether it was in After Effects... Or whether it was just in Premiere, like trying to not flatten the multicam clips just to keep all the metadata
2: there. We realized like if we try to get this thing translated to another software, there might be some sort of a mistake.
3: Yeah, there would be a lot of discrepancies in terms of it wouldn't be frame specific. So you ended up online in Premiere? Yeah, not only just we using Premiere, but we basically uprised each and every Multicam clip in the sequence, including nests and everything, just um, upresed it to our final resolution and relinked to our source footage. So like everything stayed the same because when we would flatten stuff, it would sometimes just get rid of all the keyframes completely. Sometimes they would be like a second off or sometimes a frame off. It was very
1: hard to predict. Wow. And I will say too, to Adobe's credit, they jumped all over this and it. they ended up putting out an update towards the end of the film, I think,
2: because we were using a beta version adobe cannot just release a package and then somehow the problems going to get solved so they have to write specific things and send specific stuff to us
3: yeah they were constantly sending us custom builds of new versions of premiere and, and we would make sure that it was installed on everyone's computer so there wouldn't be any issues with that which is amazing doing it without that support would have been insane
2: it would have been honestly impossible for us to do a lot of stuff
3: yeah, pre- Premiere is, it's gotten a lot better now at talking to something like DaVinci or something. But at the time, it was pretty crazy because even before turning over to online, like we still had to deal with turning over to VFX. And luckily, our workflow involved prepping shots in After Effects. So, like, After Effects is much better at being precise with what frame you want to occur when. It was much easier to place keyframes on certain frames and get it to a more precise point, than we could do it in Premiere. Mm. Yes. Yeah.
2: Like if we needed to make it more accurate or better stuff like that, we send it to our VFX team to let them master it, make it even more smooth.
3: Yeah. Because occasionally the optical flow plugin in Premiere, it would sometimes be artifacts and stuff. And if you don't use optical flow, the, the motion appears kind of choppy. So the shots that were really choppy, we would flag those for VFX. But a lot of the other shots, like where it wasn't super obvious, we would just leave those in.
2: It was very uh, tedious, many, many steps. But that, to be honest, was the best we can come up with based on not touching anything that Paul and the Daniel created.
1: Thank you. Sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the martial arts scenes do have this classic Kung Fu feel. Did you watch a lot of that stuff? How did you prepare to cut those things? Because they do have a very authentic feel
1: i grew up watching that stuff but the first thing i'll say is martial club martial club all the way those guys are amazing they are the stunt team and the fight coordinators and dan and daniel found them on youtube they were like a bunch of kids they are just martial arts film nerds and they have all these fights that they've choreographed and filmed themselves that are just in the style of whatever, whatever. So it'll be in the style of Jackie Chan or in the style of Jet Li or wow. in the style of Donnie Yen or whoever finding them and bringing them on. was like such a huge win for the film. So they had that authentic choreography and they also did these incredible pre visits. I mean, it's funny, like their fight pre-vises were like eight minutes per fight and one for budget as far as like how many shooting days it would take to shoot that. But two, also just for the length of the movie, those got chopped way down. But I, and I hope actually one day they should put those out because those are amazing and yeah, I grew up watching Jet Li, Jackie Chan, you know, it was just a a part of my film history, my film knowledge growing up. Your DNA. A little bit. I mean, I wouldn't say that like, I'm an expert. If I sat down with the martial club, they'd be like, you don't know anything, (laughs) you know?
0: (laughs) Well, did they advise you when you had all the martial arts scenes cut together?
1: We sent them a cut at one point and <laughs> they wrote an email back. It was kind of like, I guess it was, it was pretty good. Like it could definitely be better. Here's some tips. You know, I, I think my ego took a little bit of a hit, but then I was like, this is actually really great advice. I'm going to follow it actually about speed ramping and about how you could push it even further and how mm. much you could really get away with. I mean, I love feedback. I love notes and I love collaborating. Sometimes it can feel hard and sometimes it's a little bit scary, but it almost always, always, always turns out for the best. And that was definitely one of those situations where getting their raw and filtered opinion on the fights ended up really being helpful. And you
0: mentioned earlier about staying wide in the action sequences. Were visual effects
1: mapping on their faces? There were no like mapping of faces, but there were stunt doubles for sure for some of the crazier stuff.
0: I know Michelle and Key can do martial arts, but what about Jamie
1: Lee with that big jump? That's her. That's Jamie on the rope. She had a really, really incredible double. I do remember Jamie actually was just so gung ho and excited and was just like, I'm in a martial arts film with Michelle Yeoh. I want to do all my own stunts. I want to be there every day. (laughs) Like She was so excited. Wow.
0: And I also love, I don't know how fast they must have shot it. But when Evelyn pushes the knee away and does those moves in super slow-mo, was she moving in slow-mo or were they shooting it at a super high frame rate?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's very... They shot it at like 60 or something, but I, that's very Dan and Daniel music video stuff. And they're just like, what can we get away with? Can you just move in slow motion? <laughs> that's basically what it is, is, is Michelle just moving slow. That's cool. We put the sound effects to make it feel like they've got a phantom or something shooting it
0: the visual effects company must have been enlisted early on because it seems like you guys were working hand in hand with them
1: well you say visual effects company but it was <laughs> just like seven people six people who were oh, wow. Dan and daniel's friends and they were all kind of directors from the music video days what i learned coming up in music videos is that it's a pretty tight-knit community. Everybody knows everybody, and a lot of them work together, and they help each other on their shoots or when the edit or with the effects. Maybe it's also specific to Dan and Daniel because they are wonderful, nice, collaborative, inclusive people. You know, the whole crew and cast even is full of their friends, people that they've been working with since the first music video that they did. And they knew that with the budget that they had, they said well we know six or seven talented music video directors who have done all their own vfx and have helped us with vfx we know what they're capable of and we know that we can afford to do this small team and so that's what they did and they were all just like us just working in their bedrooms or whatever it was all done in after effects for the most part i don't know ashish you would know if anything ever went to blender or anything else
3: yeah, I think most of it was was After Effects. There was only a couple of things that they worked on in I think Cinema 4D and mm. and Blender, but yeah, I'd say most of it was After Effects, and that's that's how we were passing things back and forth.
1: It was a small, tight knit group of friends, and that was it's such a great way to make a film too. Because as we were doing it, I could just be like, "Hey Zach, I'm gonna send you this shot. Can you do like a two hour version of what this?" could possibly look like so that I know what the timing will be because that's going to affect the edit and he could throw it together in an afternoon and be like, here's a bad version of this, but this is the general timing.
0: So like when she goes through the wormhole and ends up in the limo, how was that achieved?
3: Was it just a bunch of different shots you were jump cutting between or a green screen? They had like these really cool LED screens. I think it just simulated light on her face. And, um, I think Dan Kwan had shot a lot of the backgrounds for that. Those were all blurred together in VFX and they just comp the pickup shot of Evelyn
1: onto that. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that. Like Evelyn, when she first has her first break into the other universe in the closet and the audit, she zooms back in her chair and it's literally just, they put her in an office chair with wheels on it and somebody squatted down and pushed her and they followed her with the camera. If it's a lazy version of it, but it looks good, then like, that's the version they're going to do, you know, it saves them $10,000 or whatever of the budget. Like,
3: yeah. And it was effective. They do a lot of practical. I believe that they shot at like four FPS. So when it was put into the edit, it gave this crazy effect of her zooming back in time.
1: Yeah. It's similar to the shot you referenced when she's zooming back through all the other universes. They just had her sit there in the chair. They had the LEDs going crazy on her and they just told her to move in slow motion. Simple, but it worked. And then all those different universes,
0: were they done in After Effects later?
1: It was on a green screen. They just rotored her out. And then Dan had, for the past like a year before they were shooting, wherever he went, he would take his phone and he would just walk in a straight line and record it. Yeah, it's all very kind of like handmade low budget indie vibe. That's how they made their music videos is they would get a $5,000 budget and they would make something that looked like it was a $100,000 music video. You know, that was kind of their Mm -hmm. thing.
0: And there's also some clever things with Jobu clicking through the universes right before the line, they might be close. And I love that one where Jobu's having her mental break and you match cut from this ax into her throwing something into her shopping cart. That was beautifully cut.
1: Again, just smart people coming up with smart ways to do stuff in writing and on set and performance. And it's also fairly low weight for me to lift because it's all being executed so well on the production side. And you can also tell, you know, Steph Shu just had so much fun doing that kind of stuff. Nothing was phoned in. And so even just the shot of her throwing a thing into a shopping cart, like there's so much there if you look at her face.
0: Yeah. I mean, she throws that into the shopping cart, like she's chopping the ax into somebody's head or something like that.
1: Yeah, totally, she was amazing. I mean, Zoe and can also attest to this, that there's so many incredible moments of performance that we had to cut out. At the end of the day, you gotta pick a take. We might have six incredible takes of improv. I'm sure, Zoe, there's stuff that you wish had made it in from Michelle yeah. or whoever.
2: Yeah, I don't know how Paul and Daniels picked but I was like, oh, every single take could make it in a film. And to be honest, like, Every single take has some different feelings and it could shift things a little bit, but they all look really, really good.
0: Hmm. Well, that's tricky to calibrate. So hats off to Paul and the Daniels for that.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: It's all about that tone that you talked about. You know, sometimes we would have to sacrifice a really, really funny bit of improv because it just wasn't the right place for a joke. Sure. You know, Evelyn was too sad, too emotional at this point. We can't let her get there yet. And so... um, Mm. You could recut the movie and swap every single take of performance and you would still have a really incredible movie. It would be different, but it would be just as compelling to watch because they were so consistently operating at such a high level. Wow. So cool.
0: I also love the blurring effect you guys created by doubling up the frames, superimposing them on top of each other, which is also a simple effect, but it's very effective to make it seem like Michelle's having a mental break.
2: Yeah, like the scene where they were fighting in the cubicle and they run out and yeah, in the hall.
1: So yeah, we do it in the office, which is a a little Easter egg. The name of the guy whose office they're in is Richard Long, Dick Long, which is a reference to <laughs> Death of Dick Long, who's also into weird sex stuff in this movie. He's got that whole sex dungeon behind his desk. But anyways, that was a fun wanted to figure out, because we thought that was going to be a VFX thing, something when she starts leaking. And we figured out in the edit that we could just do the sound of static and take all these other takes that she did, because she's so good too at hitting her marks and being consistent that for the most part, they would just kind of fade in and out with keyframes to give that feeling to these other universes that she was kind of sliding between them.
0: Excellent. Speaking of the bondage scene, I love that jump from inside the bondage room and then air cutting with her singing the traditional Chinese song to the battle with the jumpers and especially the shield fight where she's using the pizza sign knowledge to then fight with the shield. That was just brilliant.
1: Yeah, that was a complicated one. And I think that we had a version that kind of functioned for a long time before we had a version that really was right. It was such a big film that we would just kind of make something narratively functional and then move on and tackle bigger problems and come back to those things that was one of them so towards the end of the edit we actually went back in and just really dissected that scene and, and improved it and that was a collaboration between all three of us in the edit me and Dana and daniel as far as passing stuff back and forth and getting new takes and new ideas laid in one of the discoveries that we made in the edit that ended up helping a lot we needed to recenter ourselves on Evelyn in that moment and what she's experiencing as she comes out of the closet the way it was shot where there were no close-ups of Evelyn's face and so we started brainstorming of what could we do to bring us back into her and and where she's Mm. at and what she's going through and so the shot of her with the sword going over her face as she leans back is a pickup shot and then those shots of her where she's, she has her eyes closed, but she, you can see that she's moving her head and cocking her head and looking side to side as she's hearing things. Those are really important because we found that when people would watch it, they didn't know, oh, she's gained this superhuman ability to hold her breath because of her opera singer lungs, but two, superhearing because she's a blind opera singer. Mm. In the edit, discovering the need for that was a really illuminating moment, and I think is one of the reasons why that scene works so well now so often you just need clarity as an audience member yeah and sometimes just giving the audience a little helping hand of saying here i'm just going to make this a little clearer for you so you're not trying to figure out what's going on while you watch it sometimes trying to figure it out is the whole fun of it but sometimes it's not and so that was one of the parts where people were just like i don't know what's going on why are her eyes closed out? like what's happening
0: mm. yeah yeah and the audience wants to be in her head. So you want to be close on her. Yeah. Another brilliant edit was the chef with the knives and the
1: intercut with the dog fight. That was a fun one. I think they ended up having like a couple hours to shoot the dog fight with Jenny Slate. They were supposed to have a day, something ran over, and they threw it together. They had all this choreography that they just had to drop. You can see it's it's shot a little bit more handheld. Larkin was just running around with the camera trying to make it work. And so when we got into the edit, Dan and Daniel were like, we don't know if this is going to work. Like, just please do everything you can. Hopefully it turns out all right. And it did. I mean, there's a couple of beats that we ended up cutting out of it, but it was a complicated one for sure. And I leaned on Dan and Daniel for their help a lot in that, in the intercut with the chef universe.
0: Yeah. Another standout was the exploding confetti head and the whole fight with Jobu. And I wasn't sure how that flashing light was achieved. Was that practical?
1: that's practical yeah oh wow that's practical i mean that was one of the one of the things that i geeked out a little bit Is like oh wow especially because that scene was really long do you and do y'all remember those Zoe issues that jamie was in there yeah the whole hallway
3: scene she had a big old monologue in vfx yeah we just painted over um, jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, yeah just that we removed her from oh she, that... she was there and you took her out
2: Yes, she and Jobu had an exchange in the hallway before Jobu walked to Michelle. Mm -hmm. But then we painted her out, we cut her storyline out.
1: Mm. Well, she was incredible in that scene. And I hope those come out because she was amazing and so funny. She had this long monologue about the multiverse and all the different rules of the multiverse. And then Evelyn and Jobu kind of gang up on her and Jamie starts crying and she runs away. It was so great. But then where it comes in the film, you're just like, what is happening? And why is this happening right now? What we realize it should be in the edit is that it's Evelyn's brain just exploding from the realization that Jobu is Joy, her daughter. And exactly. Jobu stalking her prey and toying with her and taking pleasure in this role reversal. And that meant that we had to get rid of, sadly, get rid of Jamie. And that scene stressed me out. I I will say more than any scene in the movie because for so long we tried to make it work with the way it was scripted and it was just never working enough. The film always ground to a halt in every screening that we did. And Mm. I remember talking to Daniel and just being like, you know, it would just be nice if we could just take Jamie out somehow. And he was like, well, give me a second. And he like took a shot, threw it into After Effects. Like 20 minutes later, there was a terrible version, but it was for all intents and purposes, it worked. And so we were like, Oh wow, this is possible. And that was the day it all became clear and that scene started actually working.
0: Interesting. Tell me about constructing the putting everything on a bagel sequence.
1: I love that performance from Stephanie Shu. It's one of those classic Daniels things where they're taking something what would be serious in in any other movie like this, which is the reveal of the terrifying weapon that would destroy the universe and all universes. <laughs> and they turn it into this silly joke. You get a laugh, it's an everything bagel. And then they take that joke and then they turn it into something emotional. And yeah, it becomes a comment on cynicism and nihilism and the loss of hope. And at the end of that scene, like, Stephanie Hsu is crying, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's such a roller coaster and there's such whiplash as you're watching it. It disarms the audience so much. The way that they, Stephanie Shu did that in her performance, can do that in their writing and the way that... So we just tried to lean into that in the edit. That was one of the classic, what we call the swarm scenes, where... I did a pass and then Quan took it and did a pass. Daniel took it, threw some ideas down. So we all have our little moments that we're proud of, but in general, it just came together really well. But it was just one of those scenes where we just had to keep on hammering away at it. But we really just, I, I personally just leaned into Stephanie Shu there because her performance was so beautiful and so real. Mm-hmm. And you're just right up on her face and Evelyn's face. And one thing I learned about Michelle early on is that she has this incredible, incredible ability to listen if you just cut to a shot of her listening it tells you everything you need to know and so as much as I could I would just be like we're gonna cut to Michelle listening to this character explain whatever it is and the couple of times where I have met her just like I think she's just a genuinely great listener
0: yeah and it's huge when you have actors who are listening because sometimes you'll cut something where an actor is just waiting to say their lines and you can just tell there's nothing going on behind the scenes
1: Yeah, that's very true. The scene where Waymond is telling her that she's the worst version of herself, her listening in that is incredible. That's kind of where I was like, oh, wow, this is a superpower. We have to reevaluate every other scene she's in based on how incredible her listening is here.
0: That's cool. Tell me about deciding to play the credits in the premiere scene to make it seem like the film is over and wondering whether the audience is going to get up and start leaving or not and how long to hold on
1: that that was fun. We had not a bad spirited argument, but I was like, I want people to get up and leave. I thought it would be incredible if they were at the door before <laughs> it came back, you know? And Daniel Shiner was like, he's <laughs> <it's> like, no. <laughs> he's like, that's just cruel. That's cruel to the audience. You're going to lose people. And um, half the people are like, Did you see the third act? No. There was another act? Totally. I do think that I've read couple of things where people are just like what are you talking like the movie just ended all of a sudden and it was really weird there was no resolution um (laughs) and in general that's the role i guess that i play in some ways is i push it far and then they bring it back to where it actually needs to be which is nice to have that governor on there as far as stylistically what we were doing it's a lot of just play in those kind of scenes where we're intercutting it's just it feels like we're just trying to be musicians and play around the timing and and make it feel exciting and fun and musical and like a dance and with like this beautiful mm. choreography so in some ways it's not like uber planned out as far as how exactly everything happens in the timing as much as you can like say it's a dance and editing because editing is, is such a weird it's so technical but it's also so creative just trying to be playful
0: sure tell me about the rock sequence and how that came together
1: before I got to that scene, I was like, Daniel, what are you thinking? And he said, well, I shot some pictures of some rocks. I'll just like do a storyboard edit of this. And so he cut together a scene in premiere and he sound designed it and he put subtitles and he was like, here's the general, do whatever you want. And I watched it and I was like, Daniel, this is incredible. And he was like, oh yeah, but you know, it'll change. And I was like, I don't think it should change. <laughs> the timing was so great. It made me laugh. It was emotional. Dan Kwan watched it and he was like, this is amazing. And so I tried to not stray too far away from that once they actually shot it. And for the most part, aside maybe a couple changes here and there, that edit that you see in the film is, I would say, 85, 90% the storyboard edit. Because I realized every time I tried to get in there and rethink it or change stuff, I would watch it and be like, it's not as good. Mm. And so I had to just like step away from it and say, this is working. There's some kind of magical thing happening here. We just need to leave it alone.
2: ROCK Universe was loved by so many people. And I remember like when we showed our very first cut, everyone loved the ROCK Universe.
1: Yeah, it's so beautiful. And it comes at just the right time. Like we were asking a lot of the audience and this is an exhausting film to watch and that's on purpose and it's necessary to help us empathize with the characters. But moments like The Rock are such a gift to the audience.
0: Yeah. And it does give you a chance to reset. And it's interesting that it resets there, because we get this great shift with Evelyn realizing that Wayman has this beautiful sweetness. And he teaches her about love and kindness being the answer to the confusion of this grand universe.
1: I think Wayman is one of the most incredible characters written in film. He's Beautiful and complicated and seemingly simple, but incredibly deep and dense and complicated. And his arc is a little bit hidden. If you watch the film for the first time, you get to that moment and it comes as a surprise because you haven't thought really that hard about him as a character. You know, he has a big role as Alpha Wayman, but as regular Wayman, he's getting walked over. He's the wallflower, you know? It seems like, it seems like. But If you go back and you watch the first audit scene, to me, that's Wayman's first fight scene. He Mm. says, I fight with kindness. I fight with empathy. When Evelyn is rocketing back and forth between the closet and the auditor's desk, you get these glimpses. They're not big. You hear little bits of audio of him talking to the auditor. He brings her cookies. He's trying to explain himself. He's using kindness. And she's saying, my husband's probably messing up the audit in the other universe. She comes back and Jamie's like, all right, you have till six tonight. Thank you for the cookies. That's Wayman winning that fight. Yeah. And even at the laundromat, he saves them. Absolutely. That's like, that's his grand finale, big boss fight. Even with the customers in the opening, he's dancing with the guy. I mean, he's, he's putting in a ton of hard work as much as Evelyn is. It's just that he's doing it differently. So all that to say that scene at the end when she finally sees him is so powerful and dan kwan i remember was just like i want to cut the scene i'm going to take a week and a half i'm going to go away and he came back and we watched it and we just all like we just all wept like on a mm. on zoom we just cried <laughs> and he was like i thought it was good he was like i cried when i was cutting it which is weird and doesn't happen but i'm glad that you guys are as affected by this as i am
3: well, that was my favorite scene <laughs>
1: Yeah. I Honestly, I think for a lot of men, it is their favorite and that maybe we see ourselves in Wayman a lot.
3: Everything about it, how like we just see uh, falling in love with him again and mm-hmm. we go through all the flashbacks of him and see the lights on their faces. There's just this glow. Yeah. I remember listening to, on the mix
1: stage with the final score in it.
3: <laughs> it was insane. It was so good. Mm-hmm.
1: And Rafiq from Sun Luck spent a lot of time because we had a temp track that we fell in love with. You probably remember Ashish.
3: Yeah. I was wondering how that would be
1: tough. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot, you know, to ask of him, and, and he put a ton into it, but he absolutely killed it, and it worked so well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's why the movie resonates with so many people. It's unexpected, it's emotional, it goes to all these different kinds of places.
1: I will say, Here's my biggest regret, and I'm fine with people know this. My biggest regret is that, I don't know if it was my personal anxiety from cutting this insane film, trying to figure it out and doing it remote, but I did not tap Zoe and Ashish creatively as much as I wish I had, as far as, can you watch this cut? Give me your notes. Can you do a pass on this? I remember when we started and we were all in parallax, I was like, that was just such a, a big goal of mine was to be like we're just going to be this big creative team exchanging stuff and i hope that zoe's cutting scenes and i didn't do that and i will say if you're an editor try to be more deliberate than i was because i feel like i missed out on like Z- zoe and ashish are both really good editors and i did like i missed out on that and i wish i hadn't so
2: we really appreciate it but i also feel like to be honest with you, for the situation that we were in when like it was so new for the remote and everything, there was nothing else we could have helped with the situation because I feel like we were all crazy about the world and then we all have our own thing to so figure it out.
1: Yeah, we were all trying to survive a little bit, but that's one thing that I regret and so that's why I want to make another movie with you guys so that we could do that.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> Next time, yeah, Well, I thought you guys did a brilliant job putting it together. I was blown away, and I really appreciate you talking to me today.
1: Well, thank you. Thank
0: Thank you. you Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. We really appreciate it.
2: Remember our mission. Consider the fate of every single world of our infinite multiverse. There is no way I am the Evelyn you are looking for. Every
3: rejection. Every disappointment has led you here to this moment.
1: Don't let anything distract you from it.